People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Hey, Jacob. Welcome hey, to the studio. Good to finally have you back. Hey, how are you doing? Hello, can you hear me? Actually, I can hear you great. Um, okay. I'm going to have a lot of stuff lined up for us today. We're going to be talking a little bit more about the concept of majoritarian versus minority rule today. Um, I also have some interesting stuff uh, that will clear up the air when it comes to the issue of uh, libertarian principles when applied to the concept of adding another uh, direct democracy uh, to the United States. So all that's set up for us. I'm going to be taking a break here really shortly, Yarrow, if you'll stick with me. Yeah, sure, no problem. I'll get back to it as soon as we get started. So everybody listen up, and Yarrow, mute your mic because I can hear your breath. <laughs> okay, man, no problem. Still playing around with the are CNN and Fox any better alive than they are on TV? You're right. I could have told you that. Say so. I can't compete with you physically, and you're no match for my brain. In this corner, the old media. It's a piece of crap that doesn't work. And in this corner, the world champion, Revolution Broadcasting. Don't forget to 
Congress for Canada voted to pass the Military Commission Act to reauthorize the USA Patriot Act, both which have abridged the freedoms we cherish. It is for this very reason we are losing our freedoms. I'm Brian Green, independent candidate for Congress, and I approve this message. In Congress, I'll fight to protect the Constitution and to ensure limited constitutional government. Visit Brian Green for Freedom Factor at Senator Newton updates to his classic biting commentary on today's society. Citizen power is a sobering assessment of today's woes. More troubling is the fact that little has changed since Gravel first put pen to paper 36 years ago. In fact, according to Gravel, in most cases the problems have only gotten worse. Gravel writes, most Americans today are frustrated and confused. They are told by everyone that they are the richest people in the world and the world's freest nation, yet they see poverty in the midst of plenty and continued erosion of their civil liberties. People are tired of liberal promises and conservative game plans which offer the rhetoric of hope but in reality merely protect and perpetuate the status quo. Now the people want to be in power. Support Senator Gravel in his efforts not only to clean up Washington, but to give you the power to build a better nation. Get your copy of Citizen Power now, citizen-power.us. Chris Iyer laying it down for Revolution Broadcast. I'm running for Congress in Nevada District 1. If you want freedom, better vote for me, son. A bloated government is losing its clap like wins the army. I have no vaccine, guns, and butter overseas. We'll lose us eating macaroni and cheese. These beats are stale, and my rhymes are thin. Don't make it my campaign, and I'll never rap again. Now pay attention, because I'll only say it once. I'm done with Ron Paul, and I'm done with all one. David Lisbell, lays the track. Kelvin Atkinson is a Now let's bring down the evil empire. Open up your wallet, and make it dire. Peace, 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 peace. Yo, 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 bring that beat back. I want to shout some holler down. Yeah, what's up, party people? Pops to Arden Osborne in the NLA. Daily Paul, down with you. Andy Beamers, Jim Forsyth, all the sneaky hippies in New Hampshire. Las Vegas, beat up. Neo at ronpaulchat.net. Chris Robertson, Andrew Brownson, all the homies at the GOP. I'm Chris Dyer, and I approve this message. And we're back here on V Radio. Uh, once again, I'm finally reunited with my host, Jacob Rogers, from uh, 
Um, Jacob, can you move your mic a little further away from your mouth? I can still hear your breath. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, you there, buddy? <laughs> Sounds like you're making love to your keyboard. How about now? That's better. All right. Well, um, it occurred to me that some things were brought up recently on another show, and uh, I feel the need to clear the air on a couple things. So I went through the trouble of putting together some clips from uh, that other show, more specifically in the reference to uh, the issue of what do libertarians think about the national initiative. Um, it seems that there was some confusion as to what was said previously, so I felt the need to clear the air. You ready to listen to this, Jacob? Yeah, sure. Roll it. It seems as though the North Virginia Patriots have lost their memory when it comes to Christine Smith's position on the National Initiative for Democracy. Fortunately enough, they've happened to have their shows archived on blogtalkradio.com. Here's what Christine Smith had to say about the National Initiative. What do you think about the National Initiative for Democracy concept? I have to tell you, reading Senator Gravel's book, I had the uh, pleasure of meeting him uh, at one of our debates, and I had the pleasure of debating him, which I uh, thoroughly enjoyed, uh, was a very unique uh, idea that he's expressing. And I have to say, with the years of service that he has given us and with his uh, reputation for exposure of uh, corruption, which all Americans uh, should respect, uh, I took the book very seriously, read it very carefully, and uh, the National Initiative, at this point in my life, I am feeling very discouraged about how we are operating. I believe in restoring the republic. I think what, what it was uh, intended to be is a wonderful idea. But I remember when uh, Benjamin Franklin said, we've given you a republic if you can keep it. We do not have representative government. And Senator Gravel makes that point excellently in his book and from his experience. All we need to look around and we see we don't have representative government. We have politicians in the Senate and the Congress. They don't represent us any longer. And uh, after reading uh, Gravel's initiative, I uh, decided to put a little study into the Swiss example. And I found it wasn't just uh, the Swiss, but even the Germans, uh, and I'm German-Irish, uh, are, are actually looking towards the national initiative so that people, the power would come back to the people. And I think if we did such what he is proposing along with representative government, I believe that it could complement one another. And right now, I am at a point in my life, I'm much younger than he is. I have a, a lot of hope for America um, I, because, well, actually because of how many people I've seen supporting Dr. Paul, I, I feel that there's hope. And yet, when I look at it, what is going to be accomplished unless we completely get liberty-minded politicians in that Senate and Congress? And you and I both know the tables are stacked because those two parties control um, against the third-party candidate. Uh, I do believe uh, in miracles, and I mean that, that anything is possible. But right now, I am at a point where I think that what he is proposing, as I uh, believe I understand it, uh, sounds like a good idea to give more power to the people to create law. Because right now, those who are uh, creating the laws are uh, executing those uh, unjustly and unconstitutionally against the American people. How else are the people going to take control uh, again? Because big money controls it and incumbents control it. And I like the idea because as I read it, it would seem that it would, would, would have prevented uh, our unjust invasion of Iraq if we had had a national initiative. Uh, the American people did not want this. Uh, it could prevent uh, catastrophes like we see going on right now. So right now, uh, yes, I, uh, uh, I find it very intriguing, and I like it. Well, there you have it, people. Um, once again, brought to you by the North Virginia Patriots who endorsed Christine Smith for president, yet for some reason, reluctantly, or maybe on purpose, tried to forget the fact that Christine Smith does in fact support the National Initiative for Democracy. And here is where I ask Wayne Allen Root, the current vice presidential candidate for the Libertarian nomination, what he thinks of the National Initiative. Libertarians, including some of your fellow candidates, are opening up to the idea of Senator Gravel's National Initiative system, uh, as in like the national referendum, passing laws, you know, with, you know, giving power back to the people. What is your opinion on it? Well, here's the deal. Uh, Mike Gravel is a great guy, okay? He's a gregarious guy. He's got a nice personality, and he's like me. He's a guy with fire and passion. And I love a guy with fire and passion. And by the way, he's 77 years old, 
And I love a guy who's 77 with fire and passion. That's amazing. I hope when I'm 77, I've got his fire and passion. I, I guess I will, because I don't think it goes away. It just burns bright until the day you die. So those are all the good things about Mike Ravel. The other good thing is I welcome anybody from the left or the right joining the Libertarian Party. But having said all that, I love his initiative idea. I love the idea of citizen initiative. That's the and this is also an excerpt of what Mary Ruart had to say about the National Initiative. Uh, Senator Gravel has put forth this National Initiative, uh, and I understand that a couple of the other people in this party actually um, are for the National Initiative. I'm not sold on it yet. Do you know about this? Have you looked into it, and what do you think of it? Yes. Uh, uh, Senator Gravel was kind enough to give me a copy of his book and to point out where the relevant sections were on that. And... I have to admit, I think there's some, some good things about that. I and this is comments from Professor George Phillies, former candidate for the Libertarian Party nomination and a longtime libertarian on the subject of Mike Gravel's National Initiative. I just go ahead and talk to a lot of the candidates, and um, they've all been reviewing the idea of uh, Senator Gravel's National Initiative. Um, of course, they are still running for president, but um, some of them do like the idea, some of them don't. Uh, what is your opinion? I think Senator Gravel's national initiative uh, does a very clever political thing, namely it takes a step further than you would actually go, and then when you compromise to get it through, you get something that actually is a reasonable step. Namely, you get a national initiative and referendum, which I think would be very positive. However, I think listeners should remember Senator Gravel was the man who did successfully filibustered and conscription draft in the country. Uh, he's the man who released the Pentagon papers. His practical libertarian credentials are very strong. And so when he makes the point we should rely on the people, not the Constitution, I think it's a legitimate point of view. Well, there you have it, from the mouths of some definitely real libertarians. Um, I guess no, I have to correct you on that. that. After okay. that people are clearly not libertarians. <laughs> okay. hey, right, they're not, you know, because... They love socialism. Marxism. That's right, absolutely. Never mind the fact that they were all candidates for president on the, nom you know, for a libertarian nomination. Um, I didn't have time to to the other clips, but I can tell you that um, in talking with a great deal of libertarians at the National Convention, there were very few, as in like two, that I talked to. And I talked to a lot of libertarians, as you can probably imagine, who did not like the idea initially. Most of them, however, once given an opportunity to really think about it, um, absolutely loved the idea. Uh, one of which exactly, actually, I'm going to be having a conference call with the group Outright Libertarians. They really love the idea. They want to sit down and talk with me before they'll endorse it. But um, from what I talked to about with one of their members, they absolutely loved it. Um, let's not forget also, um, when I talked to Steve Cubby, who has used referendum systems to legalize marijuana in California, uh, he didn't even know about it. Uh, when I told him that there was a proposal for a national referendum to uh, you know, allow these sorts of things to be done on a federal level, he loved the idea. And uh, we're going to have a uh, meeting with him, and he's absolutely a libertarian. Um, all of these people are libertarians in their one way or another. I'm, Wayne Allen Root is definitely not my favorite guy, but I would dare say that, you know, when it comes down to it, um, enough people thought these people were libertarians that, you know, Wayne Allen Root got a lot of votes. Mary Ruart got a lot of votes. Billy's got some decent votes, but he's certainly been in the party a hell of a lot longer than anybody from the show in question um, and I dare say I defer to them on this, and especially on the candidate that they endorsed, when it comes to whether or not the National Initiative for Democracy is in fact compatible with libertarian ideals. So, anyway, um, I was surprised yeah, that you yeah. called in today. I'm glad that you called in, but I could see that you were um, basically going around um, uh, dealing with this crap in the chat room that's still kind of um, fighting over and over again, but... I just felt the yeah, need to bring this up because we were basically accused of lying about this, and the fact is, is I think the lying's going on on a different show. Um, I was <laughs> absolutely shocked to hear that we've gotten to the point now where we basically either lie or omit the truth on you know, a non-mainstream yeah. media radio station. Um, but I don't really want to focus all on that. You know, we should probably talk more about... You're going to be saying you're going to be saying putting their own words into their mouth. 
<laughs> That's right. Okay. Well, you know, I was talking to somebody today about this subject, more specifically one of um, Gravel's former campaign managers who, uh, you know, we had discussed the concept. And, you know, a lot of people are scared of the 51% telling the 49% what to do. You know, so we did the math. You know, so, so hear me out, okay? Now, when you add up Congress and the Senate and the President, this is what percentage they represent of the American populace. Are you ready? Point zero 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 one seven six percent That's one hundred thousandth of the population are making our decisions for us. And that one hundred thousandth of the population is paid for by special interests and lobbyists. So you, t- you know, so apparently they are more comfortable with, you know, they're not comfortable with 51% telling the 49% what to do, but they are comfortable with 100,000th of the population telling everybody else what to do. That's less than 1% by quite a large margin, less than 1% of the population telling you 99% what to do. And we've already seen that it fails. Look at the Patriot Act. Look at the Iraq War. I mean, seriously. You know, and then there are people that I just, it, the math is not there. So. No, but that's what I'm saying. That's why I call it fundamentalist, because if you look at the reality, I mean, uh, the Congress is a mob, only it's a smaller mob, but it's still a mob, you know? Absolutely. So when, does it stop, when does it stop being a mob? When there's only one person? But that's, that's a dictator. So, so what do you want? You know? So uh, there's no way. This is the way to go, is have, have this kind of referendum, but... Uh, honestly, you have to turn the power structure upside down. So more, st- more power locally, more needs to be decided locally, and obviously that will happen. You know, if you have a smaller state, a uh, smaller federal government, which is checked by the populace. So um, you got to reverse the, the, the structure. You know, so uh, all, more decisions locally. Even taxes should be decided locally. Even immigration should be decided locally. You know. If Texans want all the Mexicans they can Mexicans they can absorb, I mean, they should, I mean, who are New Yorks to decide for them that that shouldn't happen? I mean, that's their freedom as well. So, well, uh, I would certainly say that I would like to see that state referendums could override federal referendums if necessary, because I would, I'm all about people being able to say, "I'm sorry, that doesn't apply to us." And I like the idea of you know being able to secede as well. It's just an issue of like when you look at the sheer math of it. I don't think these people are really thinking rationally. Um, because it, it, it's a question of the mob rule. I'm so scared of the mob rule. Yeah. Okay, well, you know what? The majority of people don't want to be in Iraq. The mob doesn't want to be in Iraq. But the elected representatives paid for, bought and paid for by the industri- you know, military-industrial complex, they love that idea. Let's I, I, I think it's the word. I think it's the word. It's the word mob, because if you say the word mob, you automatically think about you know this uh, D movie where uh, a crazy angry mob with pitchforks and burning torches is going to this castle with you know, evil Frankenstein or Dracula, and then they burn it down or they burn uh, you know they burn witches at the stake or something like that, you know. But uh, mob rule, in a more sensible uh, term, you know, even before uh, Congress was invented, you know, it, it happened at a, at a local level. It's a, it's a town hall meeting. Even Paulville is going to be ruled by a mob, you know. Right. Even but Paulville is going to be ruled by a mob. So, that the negative version is that it, it puts on this whole concept of mob, despite the fact um, I, I listened to more of it. I didn't get a chance to get it, like, all the way through it. But Mary Ruart points out that she does agree with Senator Gravel that the people are more likely to vote conservatively and in a libertarian manner. And one of the things that is frequently quoted by libertarians is that they feel that the majority of the people are in fact, um, are in fact libertarian, that they just don't know it yet. Yes. So the concept is that, you know, you know, there are some things that we could probably waver on. You know, perhaps, you know, they, they brought up the issue that maybe socialist health care might be approved by referendum. So they're so terrified of it. Never mind the fact that we already have it and that the elected officials are not getting rid of it and that no elected official is ever going to get rid of it. I'm not saying that it's the solution to every problem, but it's certainly the solution to the war. It's certainly the solution to protecting our civil liberties. And I think these things are a hell of a lot more important, just like when we were talking to Senator Gravel on our show. Okay, We were talking on our show to Senator Gravel, and I pointed out, I said, you know what? 
I don't like that my neighbor might have food stamps, but I think that's a hell of a lot less important than us even being allowed to have these debates. You know, freedom of speech, our civil liberties are being infringed. We can bicker about socialism after we're done fighting fascism. VTC, VTC. If you look at Switzerland, they, they do have uh, some kind of system of health care, but right. um, it, it's quite a local because there was a referendum, a national referendum, mm-hmm. uh, to unify all systems of health care. They have 80 systems, of health, local systems, mind you, of health care. And these healthcare systems are managed, here, here we go, by the people themselves, okay, not by bureaucrats or politicians. So there was a referendum to unify all these 80 systems. It was, it was rejected by an overwhelming majority because people just like freedom of choice. You know, one day they like this healthcare system or maybe they, they might go to another healthcare system, you know. So they like diversity. So people are very conservative. And by the way, I would, what I would like is not for us to initiate laws, but for us to even stop laws. I mean, like they do in Switzerland. I mean, 90% of all laws proposed by their government are blocked, are not approved by the, by the Swiss people. So only 10% are approved. So people are very conservative. They don't like to experiment with big socialist ideas. You know, they want to stay what, you know, what, with what works. And so this is my point. People are afraid of socialism, but you'll get the reverse, actually. You know, you'll get small communities taking care of each other, and uh, people will opt out uh, out of free will. So that's not socialism, because socialism is force. It's not free will, you know. No, you know what, and I agree with that, too. When I've been looking at this, because the possibility exists that I might be running for Congress um, on the, as a libertarian, and also the possibility exists that I might run for the nomination of the pres- for the president of the Libertarian Party, in 2012, I honestly believe that the best way to handle the social programs problem, at least for now, is to allow people to opt out. If you don't want to partake in it, you don't have to pay for it. It's that simple. And that any, any costs for these sorts of things need to be worked out so that whatever people pay into it is proportionate to whatever it is they're going to take away from it. But you should not be forcing anybody else to pay for it. I really wish we could just turn it all off and let the free, work, free market work its magic. I also know that nobody's going to get elected if they do that. We have to have an alternative in the meantime, and I think the first alternative would be, as Senator Gravella pointed out, to create competitive forces within healthcare to lower the taxpayer dollars in the first place, and then allow people to opt out if they don't want to take part in it, uh, and just leave it at that. You know, and then eventually, after we've gotten past that point, then we can just turn it off. But even Ron Paul doesn't want to just turn it off. Ron Paul's suggestion was that we need to leave it intact the way it is until we fix the economy. I don't believe we're going to fix the economy in one president's tenure. I don't think we're going to fix the economy in three presidents' tenures. And as a result, we don't get anywhere close to fixing anything. We don't get close to fixing anything. And while we're bickering about this socialist issue, we're not paying attention to the real enemy. The real enemies are the fascists, the people that are writing laws like the Patriot Act, the people who are writing laws like the Military you know, um, Commissions Act, the people that are writing you know, executive orders like George Bush that allow him to do things like claim your property if he feels you're a terrorist. You know, those are the people who are the problem here. And I saw it at the convention. I saw it firsthand where people would not get behind each other because they were either anarchists or centrists. And the anarchists and the centrists, meaning essentially, you know, just in labels that you can give right away, would be people like Mary Ruart and um, Steve Covey were the anarchist representatives. And then you had Mike Gravel and Phillies who were the centrists. And then you had Bob Barr, um, and Bob Barr was clearly the fascist. You look at his voting record, tell me that that's not fascist. And more to the point, it's religious fascism at that. Okay, so we bickery with each other about this stupidity, and then we get a neocon nominated in the Libertarian Party because we're too busy arguing about health care. Come on. And pretty soon it's not going to matter. All the Democrats, socialists, collectivists, whatever, are going to be in the same FEMA camps Next to the, you know, next to the conservatives who didn't go along with it, you know, it's 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 a stupid argument, and I agree that we need to do something about it. However, you know, in for the time being, there are in fact people that would be labeled socialists, okay, despite what Ray is saying in the chat room, who are doing something about it. Dennis Kucinich is impeaching Cheney. He's not talking about it. He's doing it. Dennis Kucinich voted against the Patriot Act. Dennis Kucinich voted against the war, Iraq War Resolution, and that's a better voting record than a lot of people that I've seen. 
Yes, he wavers on social issues. Most Democrats do that. But we're doing a great job right now dividing the people who are more concerned about freedom, the, about the highest order, whether it be our civil, you know, civil liberties comes in first, foreign policy comes in second. Those two things need to be settled before we argue about food stamps and health care, because pretty soon we're not going to care about any of that because we're going to be at war for our civil liberties. Then we won't even be, you know, we won't even be arguing at that point. We'll all be in the same FEMA camps together, as I said previously, taking whatever food we're given, just like it is in 1984. Because that's all we get. We'll get our portion and nothing else because fascists are trying to take over this country. And I hate to say it, but as it stands now, um, there are more Democrats that I see on C-SPAN that are actually doing something about this. You know, I don't want to continue this stupid battle, but the fact of the matter is people will not get past their own personal issues on this. They just won't. And I think that we've made it more personal than we have to. Okay, it was clear to me at the convention because it, the stage was set during an unofficial debate during the first part of the convention between the anarchists and the centrists. And as a result, the egos that were hurt in that, the pride that was hurt in that resulted in Bob Barr being able to slowly sneak up and take the nomination without anybody being able to stop him because we were too busy fighting over whether or not we're socialists or anarchists or centrists or, you know, whatever. You know, that, that sort of stuff I don't think is anywhere near as important. There are Democrats right now who are socialists who are doing more for freedom than any of us in this chat room, on this station, right now, as we speak. I think socialists care about people. I think that they have the wrong idea on how to fix the problems. I absolutely believe that the free market is a better solution than socialism. But right now, that's not, what's in, that's not the threat. The threat is our civil liberties. The threat is the war. Those are the things that are going to kill us. And when we're finished, it's not going to be that, that all this other stupid bickering we had about this is not going to mean a damn thing because we, yeah. as a people, will cease to be. This, social, this socialist issue, I honestly feel, is a dividing issue. I feel that it certainly serves the fascist regime because we are debating about all this rather than about our civil liberties. We're saying things like, I don't want to hear from Dennis Kucinich because he's a socialist, despite the fact that Dennis is protecting your rights right now as we speak, Okay. We can work out the socialist issue. Dennis was confident that he could do that with Ron Paul. And when we talk about Ron Paul, he's our hero. Well, you know who his best ally is in the Congress? It's not a Republican. It's not a conservative. It is, in fact, Dennis Kucinich, one of Ron Paul's picks for the possibility of vice president. I just People need to reevaluate where they're coming from because it's stupid. It's really stupid that we're even arguing about all this. And hey, Ray, I've got to ask you a question, you know. Uh, I mean, you are at the Libertarian Convention. I mean, and, and, and what's, what's being uh, said in chat, uh, written in chat? I mean, is there a difference, or is it like kind of the same? I, I mean, I get the idea. That, uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe we just stumbled on a fringe uh, group. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what, what's what's the mainstream in, in libertarianism in America. Honestly, there no, wasn't that's... one. Um, there, there quite literally were three different camps. The centrist camp uh, was the smallest. Uh, there were 79 delegates for Mike Gravel, roughly 30 or so for Phillies. Um, if they had combined together, they would be about equal to one of the other major candidates. You have Wayne Allen Root, who I don't really count because he says something different depending on who he's addressing. You had Bob Barr, who was consistently not a libertarian in the past. His voting record, his, his voting record proves that. And then you had Mary Ruart and Steve Cubby, who were anarchists, and they represented a good portion as well. So what it really amounts to is the centrist movement, I think, is the smallest. The anarchist uh, movement is the second biggest. And the fascist movement, as I call them, you know, of course, you know, a bit lucratively, um, was the largest, at least at this convention. Ah, okay. So, okay, so it's a diverse group of people. It's, uh, that's, that's, that's okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, I am worried about, you know, this president, their presidential uh, I mean, it's, it's like a saying, if two dogs fight over a bone, the third dog will, will, will take it away and run away with it, you know. I mean, uh, I, I guess maybe that's the, the situation, the Libertarian Party. So, uh, uh, you still there, Jacob? Yeah, you got a little... Uh, um, yeah, I just Steve to the call and the sound got a little weird. Um, you're there, Steve. What's up? Yeah, well, again, I don't get to call into your show very much. Um, you know, the only thing that I really want to say 
is everybody has a lot of different ideas. We don't have the solution. Okay, but what we don't have that is absolutely killing and destroying America is unity. You know, we have to start unifying somehow. You know, this I, I, I attitude instead of we, we, we is what is destroying our country. And, you know, the sooner people wake up to where it's we the people, not I the individual, that can make the changes, we're never going to get anywhere. You know, this constant bickering with each other. Okay, it's exactly what destroys a great movement. It implodes from the inside. You know, I said this the other day. Folks, listen, you may not like the people you're working with. They may not like you. You know what? You don't have to like each other. Okay, but what you do need to do is start to unify and come together to accomplish things that we can do now. We can sort the rest out later. Okay, but what we absolutely need to do is come together on some common ground and just get the damn job done for once. For the love of God, put aside our differences, come together, and let's have a solution. I don't know what that Steve, solution is. Steve, Steve I, I lo- I, I absolutely agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. But it takes two to tango. And, oh, yeah, and honestly, I've been, I've been, I've been you know, kind of... Uh, I think kind of nice. That's all into Ray's show, you know. We talked in a very hospitable way to each other. Uh, no name calling or whatnot. But then, uh, I mean, let's be frank here. Socialism killed 100 million people in the last century. So calling me a socialist is the same thing as calling someone a Nazi. Okay. So if you want to you want to go that way, I'm I'm go, I'm going to take it for so for so much. Then it stops. Okay. So uh, I'm going to say again. Let's be hospitable to each other. Stop the name calling because I'm not going to sit by and bend over. I'm not that kind of guy. Okay, are we going to be adults? Right? Yeah. Because it takes two to make peace. Two. Not one, two. But see, you know, Jacob, that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's the I attitude that's killing us. When we can get to the we, when we get to the we, we can get things done. And that's why earlier in, you know, in the day in the chat room, you know, I actually said the reason that these arguments happen is because we put each other into groups. You know, instead of coming to a common goal to, to have the solutions, okay, we would rather bicker and, and complain to each other instead of getting the job done. You know, listen, I don't care if somebody's socialist. I don't care if somebody's an anarchist. I don't care if somebody is a neocon. I don't care if somebody's a crack addict or a heroin junkie. Let's just get the job done. You know, I know, but I mean, like I said, let's, let's go with people who know this and on a practical level know how to cooperate instead of uh, putting a, a, a nail in my foot and, so I cannot work, walk anymore. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a common effort. I mean, even, even during the, the revolution, you had slave owners and people who did not like, uh, who were abolitionists, but they fought together for their freedom, you know. So I think it is possible, but it does require some cooperation on both sides and a sense of priority that the first thing we have to fight now is fascism and later we can tackle socialism because that's much easier. Believe me, I have been brought up in a welfare state. I know well how, what socialism is. It's repulsive. It's, 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 it's vomiting. It's really very bad, but you cannot fight it if the government is breathing down your neck with a clock, okay? That's, not, that, that's a position you do not want to be in. That's my no, and, and I agree. And, and, you know, that's why I've been trying to get this unity thing to, to start working. That's the only way we're going to succeed is in our numbers. This is exactly what happened at the Libertarian Convention. The party is so divided, they are not unified, that these types of things happen. Yeah, I, I don't. I, there's no simple solution, but uh, maybe we should work with people, even 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 out there. I saw I forget He's an anarchist, and uh, we we have a lot of uh, uh, common ground where we can come together and and work. And he's a, he's a totally out there in the anarchism field. I, I'm I'm not where he is, but there there's a lot of things that we can cooperate together. But if you if they start the religious war, man, you're not a true libertarian, and you're not a true Catholic, and you're a heretic, and let's burn you at the stake. That's not going to work. Okay? 
So we've got to move away from that, and we have to cooperate with people who think like you do, Dr. Steve. I think like you do, Dr. Steve. I hope you can find people, you know, put together a team who think like you do and who want to cooperate with other people, even if they do not share all of their beliefs. Okay. So I, I hope that's possible because right now uh, Gravel is made out like, uh, like, like some kind of Stalin who's responsible for 60 million deaths. And, and whatnot. I mean, that, that's totally going in the wrong direction. So yeah. I hope you can... Well, you know what? Let me take a moment because you guys are talking on my show and now I only have about 20 minutes left because, and I had a lot of other subjects I had originally wanted to broach. I think that anybody who, in ignorance, would dare attack a man like Senator Mike Gravel, okay, regardless of what you think his, you know, he did or did not do, what his beliefs are, the man filibustered the draft. He's the reason why a lot of us are not in Iraq right now, okay? The man read the Pentagon Papers and risked his life to end the Vietnam War. He has done more for this country than the majority of the, you know, half-wit people who troll on our forums, who troll on our message boards, you know, I mean, who troll in our chat rooms will ever do in their lives. And he's certainly done a lot more for this country than a lot of the people who are speaking loudly against him. That's the truth of the matter. And if we're going to alienate a man who has already proven that when he was given the opportunity to do what needed to be done, he would do it, then we need to look at ourselves. Because if your ego is so far out of control that you can't handle that he talked down to you a little bit because you were acting like an idiot on your show when he was on there, then you're not helping this movement. You're harming this movement. And I agree that we need to find a way to try to meet a common ground. But the fact of the matter is, People like Ray are chasing people out of this movement because you only get to be part of this movement if you agree with him 100%. It's the same in those nut jobs who say that you have to be Christian to be part of this movement. The movement does not belong to Ray Powell. It does not belong to Neil Kiernan. It does not belong to Steve Parent. It belongs to freedom. And we've got to recognize that the stupid things that we're fighting about in comparison to the fascist regime are the reason why they're winning, just like they won at the convention. Seriously. Pull your heads out of your butts for a minute and seriously think about this. Because the fact is, your egos are getting in the way of freedom. You don't get to decide who's part of the movement and who's not part of the movement. It's that simple. Yeah, Neil, I'm going to give you back your show. Just, just, just it's people heed these words that I'm about to say here. You don't have to like the people you're working with. You really don't. Okay, but we have to work together if we're going to accomplish the things that need to be done to take America back. I don't care, you know, Neil, I don't care if you don't like Ray. I don't care if Ray doesn't like you. I don't care if people don't like me. Many people out there don't like me. But we're all on the same team. We have to find unity somehow. If we can't find unity, we will destroy ourselves with it. And I'm sorry that I took over your show. Have a good afternoon, gentlemen. Um, you know, remind everybody we're going to be streaming the live speech of Dr. Paul a little bit later. Good luck, guys. God bless. Okay. Thank you, Steve. Okay, Neil, are you there? Yeah, I'm still here. Of course I am. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, I totally agree with Dr. Steve, you know, but uh, like I said, it takes two to tango, and uh, I hope, I hope uh, some common sense will uh, enter these people. I and mean, we have our differences, Neil. I mean, we, you know, on a lot of fundamental issues. But, but the difference is, is that you and I can talk to each other intelligently, and when I'm finished talking to you, I still feel as though we've exchanged information, and I, when we learn from each other, there's a way that some of these other people conduct themselves. And in many cases, it's, you know, they don't even really think out what they're talking about. And that much is evident. I have heard Senator Gravel misquoted on the North Virginia Patriots show so many times. I have heard his ideas misrepresented. And the fact of the matter is, is that Ray and Hooter are ignorant. They don't even know what they're talking about on the subject. No, 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 it doesn't really matter. Um, in any case, though, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, in the time that I have left about the subject of slavery, because there was a lot of debate as to why slavery got into the Constitution. And it's covered in, uh, more specifically, uh, about uh, in uh, Senator Gravel's book, Citizen Power, Chapter 12. I'm going to read from it here real quick, and then we can hopefully get some uh, you know, information on it on here. When the constitutional framers met in Philadelphia, their options in designing our new government were unduly influenced by the fact that the 13 Confederate states, all independently sovereign, were in the process of falling apart internally and as a confederation. The convention delegates were the wealthy elites of those states. Any loss of civic cohesion would directly affect their personal property. 
Their initial preference for the structure of, of a new government derived from the successful colonial experience with a town meeting system of governance. That would be majority rule for those of you who don't know should have produced an amalgam of representative and direct citizen involvement in government. Unfortunately, the pal of slavery gripped the convention's proceedings, holding hostage any possible truly democratic success. Compounding the tragedy the framers were about to initiate was the fact that probably the best opportunity to rid the nation of the scourge of slavery was the period from the secession of the Revolutionary War hostilities in 1781 to the beginning of the Philadelphia Convention in May 1787. Three blacks and slaves had fought in the Revolutionary War in numbers that exceeded their demographic distribution, and King Cotton had yet to take command of the Deep South with Eli Whitney's gin. Blacks had earned their piece of the dream. I believe the point at which the American dream of freedom was eclipsed was when the delegates to the convention failed to keep faith with the principles of the Declaration of Independence articulated 11 years earlier. That declaration was the dream, the vision, all men are created equal. Delegate John Rulidge of South Carolina, backed by the delegates of Georgia, blackmailed James Madison, the architect of the convention, and the rest of the delegates into accepting slavery as the price for their states, joining the new government. Welcome to the beauty of representative government. It gave you slavery. The framers compromised the moral principles articulated in the Declaration of Independence and made a deal with the devil in order to unify a new nation and prevent the certain collapse of the, of the Confederate states that threatened their, their personal wealth and power. The legacy of slavery plagues us to this day. Repeated generational transfers of cruel and human norms of conduct toward fellow humans, rationalized by Holy Scripture, has damaged the American psyche beyond repair. We are a violent people, still sustained by religious fervor, and we wonder why. The American psyche was further coarsened by the national sense of manifest destiny, the idea that God wished us to exercise dominion over the land. Land represented economic freedom and a chance for upward mobility. The land of the continent was there for the taking, even though the land was already occupied by the Indians. In a cruel electoral calculus, settlers used their government's military power to legalize their continued encroachments onto Indian lands. Representative government its finest again. Settlers voted. Indians did not. The Indians were not enslaved but nearly annihilated. The constitutional framers, the elites of their day, created a system of representative government that held a monopoly of legislative power that facilitated policies that shame us to this day. Regardless of how much we praise our form of government, it cannot by any stretch of the imagination be called egalitarian or democratic. Our Constitution, create, our Constitution, creating the structure of representative government, favors elites simply because it was written by elites. And, of course, they did not fail to provide for the continuity of their own power by establishing procedures whereby they could amend the Constitution with Article 5 and make laws with Article 7. Our Constitution has been extensively copied around the world. Obviously, the structure of representative government does not threaten other elites governing their other elite societies. The framers wrote a document that defined the first constitutional representative government in history. Representative government has since been the norm in all democracies except Switzerland, which copied our constitution but added one very powerful change, which represents the next step in the evolution of democracy. The Swiss constitution, written in 1848, added the people as lawmakers, creating a very successful governing partnership with their elected officials. This was the intended road, but the one not taken by the framers of the American constitution. The framers had to exclude the people from their ratification process in order to secure the ratification of their flawed constitution. They had a daunting task. They had to avoid a vote in the Confederate Congress, or the Constitution would not likely have been ratified. Similarly, they had to avoid votes in the state legislatures by persuading them to refer ratification to state conventions called for that purpose. The convention scenario also permitted the framers to circumvent the people, denying them a legislative role in the ratification process. In 1778, Massachusetts placed before its citizens a constitution for ratification that included slavery. The people refused to ratify it. Let me say that again. The people refused to ratify it. In 1780, a constitution authored by John Adams that excluded slavery was then overwhelmingly ratified. That's right. When given the option, the people would ratify a constitution that did not include slavery. But your representatives, representing the elites, were more than happy and more specifically were motivated to keep slavery. The framers in Philadelphia were well aware of ordinary people's attitude towards slavery, so they figured out how to keep them one step removed from the ratification process. That was to have the state legislatures call for state conventions and refer the Constitution for ratification to them. The elites then controlled the conventions. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Does that or does that not sound exactly like what's going on with Ron Paul right now? This had universal appeal. It offered a way to kill the Constitution without the existing governments being held accountable. It permitted the political elites for and against the Constitution to gather and duke it out without being pestered by the real people. 
Even with the success of overcoming these barriers, it was literally a miracle that the Constitution was ratified at all. Fifteen votes strategically placed in three states would have meant defeat. Would a Constitution sans slavery have fared better? I think so. At least the framers would have had the integrity to put the ratification before the people who, as the preamble stated, do ordain. The real impact of the people being cut out of this legislative act was to alter the entire nature and the rule of citizens in American governance to this day. All of the founders and framers believed that the people had every right to exercise their legislative sovereignty to make laws. They are quoted frequently, pointing out that future generations have an obligation to alter their governments and constitutions to suit their interests. They also pointed with pride to the seminal lawmaking act of the Declaration of Independence. Nevertheless, they sacrificed the people's lawmaking right to protect the ratification of their compact with the devil, slavery. They locked into the Constitution by excluding procedures that rightly belonged in Article 7 for the people to amend the Constitution and to make laws. Their fears that the people would remove slavery from the Constitution, if so empowered, were well-founded. The first lobbying act of the first Congress was an assault on slavery by Pennsylvania Quakers led by Benjamin Franklin. It was successfully thwarted by James Madison and accepted as an understanding in Congress that the subject would never be addressed again. Slavery was so effectively embedded in the Constitution that its removal, short of a civil war, was impossible. Of the five features locking slavery into the Constitution, only one, that of a slave being counted as three-fifths of a person for representative purposes in the U.S. House, had been removed by the Civil War. The other four highly undemocratic features of the Constitution have remained to work their mischief on us to this day, long after the demise of slavery. They are the Electoral College, Article 5, the U.S. Senate, and state control of federal elections. So there you have it, people. The main reason why we don't have representative government is... Dun, 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 dun. Well, the reason we don't have direct democracy is slavery. Okay? It was there to protect slavery. That's right. It's that simple. It's there to protect slavery. So, no, I don't want to scrap the Constitution, but I do think it's imperfect. I do think it needs one addition. And that addition would be that the people need to be able to hold the representatives directly responsible when they do something that we don't want them to do as a people. It works in Switzerland. It works in concept. It works in principle. And it is, in fact, agreed upon by many libertarians that it could very easily be the answer to our problems in government. So to those of you who haven't really thought about this or more specifically have no idea what you're talking about because you've never read the book, my suggestion to you would be to look it up in Citizen Power, to research Swiss democracy and what it has done for their people before you start to go off half-cocked and start to claim that you have the facts, particularly if you're going to go on a radio show and talk about it inaccurately, as some people, unfortunately, have felt the need to do. (sighs) So, now all that said, sadly I only have one hour to do all this. I'm going to go to uh, one of my commercials, and uh, I'll talk to you guys more about this later. If I have any time, I'll go ahead and talk about it now, but we'll see. Democracy, a government by the people, especially rule of majority. A government in which the supreme power is vested in the people and exercised by them directly or indirectly through a system of representation usually involving periodically held free elections. In the United States, we have a representative democracy. This means that we elect representatives and empower them to make laws which run the country. Each and every election day, we give away our power to these representatives. It's the power to make laws. Lawmaking is the central power of government. It is by making laws that the government acts or reacts. But what if you don't like the laws? You have a democracy, right? Won't my representative act in my best interest? That depends. It depends on whether it's in their interest. Remember, they have the power, and you gave it to them. Is this fair? No, not really. What if you could participate in the process of lawmaking? Only the Congress decides which laws to consider, and only the President can sign them into law. So where does that leave you? Nowhere. You don't have any power, remember. 
you gave it away on election day. What if we could have the same power of lawmaking? 24 states and several other countries allow laws to be passed by initiative. The National Initiative is an act and an amendment to the Constitution that allows you to participate in the process of lawmaking. It gives you the same power as the government, the power to make laws. I bet you're thinking, but what if you make a bad law? What if you pass something totally unconstitutional? The Supreme Court is there for just this purpose. We too must abide by the courts, and we are only another leg in the system of checks and balances. But what about Congress and the President? There's no change there. The National Initiative does not change the way the representational government works. Laws can still be passed by the government. The National Initiative does not replace this process. It adds to it, like adding a third house to Congress. We, the people, will have the same power as the Congress and the President. Is this fair? You decide. You'll have to, because Congress and the President won't do this for you. It's not in their interest. It gives you power. So if Congress isn't going to pass the national initiative into law, and if the President won't sign it, how will the national initiative ever happen? The Constitution was created by the people, and if we created it, we can change it. So it's really that simple. We, the people, vote for the national initiative, and when a majority of Americans say yes, it becomes a part of the Constitution. It couldn't be simpler. So is that fair? You decide. You'll have to, because nobody else will decide this for you. The Democracy Foundation, a nonprofit organization, has an undertaking to register your decision. Named after the first constitutional convention, which took place in Philadelphia on September 17, 1787, Philadelphia too is the constitutional convention of the people. On the National Initiative website, you can vote for or against the National Initiative. Sounds easy, doesn't it? After you vote, your vote will be manually verified to ensure accuracy. Still sound easy? It's an immense undertaking, but there's no other way. We hope you visit the National Initiative website and decide for yourself. www.ni4d.us And I'm back here on V Radio. Um, had a little bit of an opportunity to calm down some. <laughs> Jacob, I see you're still on the air. Yeah, I still am. Yeah. Right. So um, we got about three minutes left. I'm probably going to put on a song here. Did you have any closing statements? No, I don't. I just uh, just here's out here. To, you know, the, the national initiative. Um, I think it's a great idea in principle, and uh, I, sh- I think we should we should like think about it and and give it some thought. You know, don't don't combat it with dogma, but approach it with an open mind. Well, that's our curtain call. I'm going to throw on a song. Um, thanks for listening to V Radio. Um, yeah. We'll talk more later, guys. Everybody take care and keep an open mind and check things out before you vote, before you freak out. Take care. Bye-bye.